You are listening to the No Nonsense Amateur Radio Podcast, a conversation on where we are and where we're going in the world of amateur radio. Your hosts are Dan, KB6NU, and Tom, KB5RF. And so with that, Dan, over to you to introduce our listeners to today's guest. So, Tom, today we're joined by Mike Ritz, W7VO, who's a candidate for the ARRL Board of Directors. Glad to have you with us, Mike. Well, thank you. Thank you guys for having me on. Uh, my pleasure. As uh, if you read my blog, you know this has always been a this is a hot point with me, and uh, I'm I'm actually uh, uh, inviting everyone, all of the candidates, to join me on the show, and uh, uh, hopefully I'll get more. But uh, uh, other folks have not yet uh, quite responded. So you told me today that uh, you just got word that you're an official candidate. That's correct. I made it through. The uh, Ethics and Election Committee uh, gauntlet, as I like to think about it, and uh, got a call from Carla at HQ this morning that I'm now a certified candidate for uh, the Northwestern uh, Division uh, Director position. Well, that's excellent. So that this is great timing then on our uh, recording here. Um, why don't we start out a, a little bit by telling, having you tell us a little bit about your uh, background. Well, um, I'm retired uh, out of the high-tech business uh, for 35 years in telecom. Been an amateur radio operator since uh, just shortly out of high school. I kind of got interested in it uh, very young, at uh, nine or ten years old. Got interested in electronics, and you know, was one of these guys that uh, you never know, see that Dilbert cartoon about the knack. Well, I was one of those kids with the knack, and I uh, was taking radios apart and you know, destroying my my grandparents' television set and. Did you get them radios. back together? That's the question. Well, no, but what I did get, what I did find out was when I was a little kid, I found out that if I if I took my 1937 Zenith transoceanic radio and put a wire on a certain pin of a tube, I could knock out my grandparents' television set. So every time I got in trouble, I got sent to my room. I I knocked their TV set out, and they lost uh, the middle of their Dodgers baseball game. <laughs> that's pretty good and, and you know you know when they when they died i actually felt guilty about that that you know they 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 died and i never they never knew what it was that knocked out their tv games you know they're, yeah. they're telling but anyway so uh i'm very been, been very active in amateur radio i took kind of a hiatus in the in the late 90s uh i you know moved to uh moved to mountain view down in, down in uh in the middle, middle of silicon valley and uh, worked for um, uh, company down there called California Microwave that was run by Dave Leeson, W6NL. Uh, every it's interesting that every job that I've ever gotten in my life, I got through amateur radio um, by knowing somebody who worked there who was a ham that I knew, uh, or you know got in got in that way and uh, worked a lot with amateur radio all the way through my whole 35 year career. So I've been very proud of that, and so I've been basically I said I've been interested in electronics and radio my entire life. Well, that's excellent. So what's prompted you to run for the board of directors? Well, what happened was, you know, a year ago, I really didn't, I really didn't care what was going on with the board, didn't pay attention to it. You know, my, I'm a, a big uh, uh, D, uh, DX guy. I'm active. I build things on, you know, with radio. I do a lot of mentoring. And so I was very involved with the uh, Willamette Valley DX Club up here in the Portland area. And uh, what happened was uh, last it was about last November, one of our board members started coming to, to our club meetings and talking about all this uh, stuff that was going on with the board. You know, talk about the censure, talking about uh, these proposals that were going to come up to the board meeting about uh, giving the, you know, the, the director, some of the uh, officers of the league uh, voting rights on the board and, 
and basically just saying there's all this bad stuff going on, and he couldn't get any answers out of our current director as to how he was, what he felt on these issues and how he was going to vote on them. And so after a couple of months of this, you know, right around the first of the year, or it was probably November, December time frame, or maybe the end of last year, I should say, uh, you know, I, as the president of the club, I said, okay, you know, you go off and go, go talk to our director and then talk to him as a representative of our club and then come back and give us a report. Well, he came back the next month and said he couldn't get an answer out of them. He wouldn't, wouldn't respond to his emails. And so I, as the president of the club, had to get involved and said, okay. So I sent our director an email, which turned into a series of emails about this. And he did respond to my emails. He basically started off by saying, yeah, there's some troublemakers out there that are causing some issues. And other than that, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. So I, and then he started, then he had a couple of other emails where he kind of really that, uh, you know, he's more the ARRL corporate side and, and I believe in the ARRL as a member organization and his, you know, for him, the member input wasn't as important as protecting the league and uh, the confidentiality of what goes on. So I, you know, I, I believe that, that's kind of how I got sucked into it. And the more I, the more I talked to him in these emails, the more I re realized that, that uh, things, you know, and, and then I discovered the MAV group uh, online. A friend of mine pointed me to it and said, hey, look at this. You know, then I found out that not only are there what he referred to as a few troublemakers, there's thousands of troublemakers. And You're, talk uh, you're talking about the My ARRL Voice Facebook That's page. correct. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, MAV, My ARRL Voice. I, I, I ran it to their page on, on Facebook and looked at their website and said, well, gee, this, this looks good to me. You know, what... Uh, there's, there's got to be some, something more going on here. So the more I researched it, the more I realized that, uh, you know, there were a lot of issues. Uh, you know, I, I heard about the, the censoring of Dick Norton, who I uh, respect as a radio amateur. I think he's one of the, you know, one of the you know, most well-known, uh, you know, DX radio guys in the world. And mm -hmm. uh, they censured him. I didn't know why they censured him. You know, that's still private between uh, the board and him. But I got thinking about, you know, well, how, how's that good for amateur radio? And, uh, you know, why, why'd they do this? Uh, so I decided that, you know, if you're not obviously tired, right, I got a lot of projects here at home that my wife uh, makes sure that I spend a lot of time on. I said, well, you know, I, I, I've still got the passion. I've got a lot of the amateur radio background. Uh, the last uh, 10 years of my uh, professional career, I was a director level for, for, a, for, you know, for a telecommunications company. It's time to put that to work and, and you know, put something back into the loop and see what I can do to help. So I decided decided early, uh, especially down at the Visalia DX convention, that I would uh, uh, run for director and, and do a serious effort. Uh, you know, talk to the talk to people and got a lot of support uh, from uh, from Hams uh, in my within my division and from from outside the division too. And, uh, and what, few, what division what division are you in? This is the Northwestern division. So it's okay. the five states of, uh, of Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, and Alaska. Covers, okay. a, covers about 12,000 ARRL members and, uh, and five states. I mean, it's a huge, uh, huge geographic area. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's quite a big area. I've been putting quite a few miles on my car the last uh, couple of months, I can tell you that. Oh, I can but imagine. Anyway, so, so that's that's kind of the story, you know. I decided if I wasn't part of the, you know, the old the old adage, if you're not part of the, um, uh, not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. 
and uh, I thought that it was the right time to jump in and do something. And of course, uh, you know, I got some negative reaction from the from the current director, uh, you know, and then and then, uh, but I've been you know forging ahead and making my 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 name better known. Uh, pretty was pretty well known in the DX community here in Oregon, but not so much in Washington. And and of course, uh, uh, you know, the, the idea is to get the name out there, and uh, and I've been doing that very heavily. Um, since, uh, you know, since Visalia in April. I declared well, very early. Uh, well, talk about that a little bit. What You say you got some negative uh, response from the, the current director. Well, he, if you look at his, at his website, he's, he had a website that he called From the Director's Shack. Um, as the sitting director, it was his website. It was k7cexcom.com. And he basically told me, in the, in the state, he absolutely blasted me for being a supporter of N6AA, although I never really supported him uh, overtly. I think he's a great amateur. Uh, uh, he's one of the few people I've ever run into that turned in a, has turned in golden logs in a contest, you know, with zero errors. Uh, you have to greatly respect him as, a, as an amateur. And uh, uh, he absolutely railed on me that I was a big NAA supporter and actually uh, uh, actually said that, you know, that, uh, that in, in, in inference, it, the inference was that we were both evil, um, and then, and that I was a contester DX guy, you know, and and uh, we're kind of elitists. And if you read between the lines, uh, and then and then I, um, his idea for uh, holding a, a director position in the uh, in the uh, AWRL is you have to first be a section manager, serve your you're two years plus a section manager, and then you run for vice director, and then you're a vice director for three years, and then you can qualify to run for director. Huh. And, well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of amazed by that. that. that, that I'm kind that, of amazed that uh, he would call you guys e evil. <laughs> well, no, he didn't say evil, but if you if, take a look at his website, and uh, you'll see the post that he had, or he actually changed his blog from being from the director's shack, because I'm not sure that being from the director and saying the things that he did would you know be considered uh, you know you know good ethics but uh, he finally changed it now to his you know his personal view on amateur radio um, but he's got a page dedicated to kind of blogging about how the election's going and he had uh, some less than kind things to say about Rhea and myself in there you know and uh, and, and that was you know he's got his opinions I've got mine I I know why I'm running I think I'm running for the right reasons What's that URL again? Uh, it's a, a k7cexcom.com. Okay, okay, I'm I'm just making a note of that. I'll, I will have to look that up. So, um, having said that, if you get elected, what what kind of things are you looking to do? Well, well, first let's let's talk about this for a second. So, so uh, another thing that you said he said was that you got to go through the ranks. And you know, while I can sort of see that point of view, I. Uh, I think the the problem with that is, by the time you work your way through the ranks, you've gotten sort of the um, you've sort of gotten brainwashed into the AWRL way of thinking. And that's and that's one of the that's one of the problems with that system is you kind of work your way up through the ranks, and by the time you get to the top, you've got all the uh, ins and outs of how the how the board is currently run, and how you you know uh, obviously you want to have some some uh, some. Uh, some sensitivity to what goes on at the section level, but I mean, there's actually two organizations within the AWRL. There's the field organization, the executive organization. The executive organization 
uh, actually reports to uh, a different person than the field organization does. So section managers, although you know they're heavily involved in their own state activities for ARES and, and uh, the various appointments that they do in dealing with local governments, the AWRL board works with the section managers. The section managers do not work for the board. They work right. to report to, there's a different uh, reporting structure. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, although you'd want to know what goes on in your section, and I think a, a big responsibility of being a board member is is working with your section managers and understanding what they do. But, I mean, you know, if you've been around a long time and, and worked with uh, people, for example, with, with as I do through the ARIES program here, you know, you get to know your section manager and you know where, where, where they are. I don't think you need to have an experience as a section manager um, and then, like 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 you said before, it kind of uh, it kind of brings up inbreeding um, a little bit in the fact that you do wind up getting you know kind of brainwashed with how the board operates. You know, the th things evolve through having fresh ideas and a fresh uh, you know concept of how things need to be. And uh, and uh, you know, I think they the, the board is kind of at that turning point right now. Yep, I would I would agree with you. So let, let's uh, let's move on then. Let's let's talk about some things that uh, you might want to do as a division director. Well, one thing I hope I get I get to do is to help select the new uh, CEO. Although that may already be done, um, I know that they. Uh, I heard a rumor that they have a candidate in mind, um, but I'm just I'm really questioning if they'll make sure that they pick the right guy for the job. You know, the AWRL CEO is a is probably the most critical role that there is in the company. In the company and the and the member organization, and uh, you know, we all know what happened with NY2RF, right? He left the league uh, because the taxes were too high in Connecticut. Uh, right before, well, at least that's what he said. Well, I'm 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 telling you what he what he wrote. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah. what you get from that's another story. But you know, I mean, uh, to me, as a member organization, you have to have a CEO. Uh, who's a trusted and known member of the of the amateur radio community uh, at a high level, and has an understanding of the issues and the vision and passion, you know, to get the job done and and have and be a leader. And you just can't, you know, they kind of they brought in uh, Gallagher, you know, who had a, a apparently a great history in running uh, in running uh, nonprofit corporations, and brought him in to lead a what's you know should be a member organization, and his views on how the board should be run were more. Uh, closed board related, um, you know, than more than open board that I, that I think people are, are really uh, pushing for as a member organization. I think there was a lot of disconnect there. Uh, you know, he ran the he ran the AWRL as as a, as a closed corporation uh, rather yeah. than a member organization. I think that was you know, ultimately is his downfall. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think the new CEO it really has to have um, the the uh, right attitude toward the type of organization we are. It's not just a nonprofit, a membership-based nonprofit. That's correct. I, and, and I think that the, the most important aspect is he has to be a leader of the organization, which means that he uh, he has to be somebody that the, that the members can look up to as an amateur, you know, not, not, not a, a money guy uh, who happens to have a ham radio license, but... Uh, but a guy who's not only a CEO ability, you know, for the skills required to be a CEO, you know, the handling, the, handling the finances in the organization, but also being a leader for the membership. And I think that's uh, extremely important. I'm very worried that the new candidate they have um, will meet the financial side of it, not so much the member side of it. 
Yeah, I, I have no uh, insight into that, so I can't really comment on that part. Uh, I, you know, I, I just, just have that suspicion. I, I, I hope I'm wrong, uh, but we'll have to wait, and you know, the time will tell. What, one of my bugaboos has been always been the membership, and, and in particular, the percentage of licensed radio amateurs who are AWRL members. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, we've seen a, a big expansion in the number of licensed radio amateurs over the last five to 10 years. But still, the, 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 actually, the, the percentage that are AWRL members keeps decreasing. It does, and it's getting worse. Um, I don't know if you read the latest uh, AWRL uh, annual report, but uh, they lost three percent of their members last year. Wow. And looking looking at from a, a high of around one hundred seventy six thousand a couple of years ago, they're down to one hundred fifty four thousand, about a twelve percent drop over the last few years. And uh, they're predicting another two percent uh, drop this year, another five thousand members. Uh, a lot of that, I think, has to do with the dues increase, but a lot of it has to do with, you know, one of the fundamentals of marketing is if you're if you're having a, if you're selling a product as the AWRL, people have to see value in it, uh, in order to pay that forty nine dollars every year, uh, and if you don't have perceived value, they're not going to spend the money. So that yep. one of the one of the key things in the league um, is to, that I can see that the board, the, one of the big challenges they have is is bringing. The perceived value of being a member of the league back to the members. I mean, they're basically bleeding right now. I know that they, you know, they actually had predicted a loss in membership uh, when uh, Gallagher increased the dues, uh, but he unfortunately increased it. I think above the pain threshold. Yeah, well, I, I don't think you can blame Gallagher for the dues increase because uh, uh, K1ZZ was talking about that even before he resigned. Well, so, so you can't. Pretty steep increase, but it happened under his watch. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so what I've always suggested is that the AWRL create a membership goal, whether it be total numbers or what I like to, to say is percent of licensed radio amateurs. And I've always suggested that they set a goal of 25 percent. I don't think that's undoable, and, and it would focus them on providing the value so that they kept and attracted new members. Well, and I think a part of the attracting new members is making sure that, and that's kind of one of my pet peeves here locally, is uh, we have a VE program uh, put on by an, an individual who runs it. Uh, if at, For a while it wasn't done through a club, but he would not let the Aries people or the club, our local club, come in and recruit members at the VE sessions. Huh. Uh, you know, that you have to, you have to get them, yeah, right, you have to get them, you have to get them early. Another thing that you have to realize is that uh, what I've seen in our VE sessions, most of the people now that are coming in and getting their technician class licenses in these VE sessions where they have, especially where they have the ham cramp, right, where they come in in the morning and know absolutely nothing about radio, uh, and eight hours later they walk out with their technician class license, uh, you know, ready to go, is that uh, most of the people are not what I would consider radio amateurs. They're getting into getting their ham license because they're a cert member, you know, and want the emergency communication side of it with their cert team. <clears throat> I've seen people come from uh, hospitals that want to set up disaster recovery uh, teams, and so they're getting their teams members licensed. Uh, it's uh, drone pilots. It's uh, Red Cross. It's um, even the uh, uh, you know several churches have their own disaster response uh, teams within their churches, and a lot of them here in the local area. Ryan uh, are uh, our church members, and they will probably never get on the air. 
will probably well, they'll probably maybe own a radio or have access to a radio, but they're not going to join the ARRL because for them it's not a hobby. Well, so as as one who teaches the quote unquote ham cram licenses or license uh, t- uh, classes, uh, I I think you might well you might be right on a lot of those. That's why I say twenty five percent. I don't think twenty five percent is a is an outrageous figure. And you know I I don't personally I don't see the problem with licensing some of these people because I think some of these people actually then will turn into amateur radio operators. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. But but the question is that, you know, they're not getting into amateur radio for them as a hobby where they're going to spend a lot of time and a lot of resources and money on the hobby. Um, they've got it because it fits their little niche of what they want to do to own a radio. Well, but that's okay too, right? Because that's one oh, of the absolutely. purposes of ham ham radio. Okay, so so I guess we're I guess we're on the same we're on the same, same page, but, but it's not but it's not a passion, right? And, it's not going to turn into a passion, although it could turn into a passion with the right mentoring. And that you know that goes into the next aspect of it is you know what are, what are, what are the current amateurs doing to mentor new hams? Exactly, right? I, I, I'm with you. T- yeah, I'm with you totally I, there. Yeah, and what I've what I've done here is, you know, my big part of amateur radio is DXing and contesting. I've been doing that for, you know, 30 years now, and uh, active through the Limit Valley DX Club. We have our own little, you know, contest competition with the other uh, clubs up here in the Northwest. And what I've really worked at um, in my station, and I've got, you know, a pretty good size station compared to probably a lot of amateurs, certainly a lot of amateurs around here, is that I I bring in new hams and sit them down on the radio and get them involved in contests. Um, you know, to, to the, the, the bottom line in contesting and the future of amateur radio is to bring, bring guys in and gals in and sit them down and get them, you know, get them on the microphone and get them working them. And some of them will, will, will wind up loving it and, and want to get more involved, want to upgrade. But you've got to, you know, mentoring has got to, has got to uh, be a big part of what, the league does forward uh, to you know to to make themselves and the hobby more successful. Well, right, and 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 some of us would argue that when how do you do really do that? And one of the ways is clubs, and I think the the ARRL support for clubs uh, has been abysmal. You're absolutely right, um, and our and in some cases our local club here um, has been abysmal because they wind up being you know being too focused. Uh, one of the things that I've had to do is, you know, our local club, I live in a fairly rural area, right? It's a 645 square mile county with around 40,000 residents. So it's very rural. We've got a local club here, but the local club was more involved with repeaters. And, you know, the meetings were all about the repeaters. And I'm an HF guy, you know, and I want to get people on the air working HF and working the world. And so what I ended up doing was I actually ended up uh, uh, reading an article on EHAM that, that was, you know, about clubs and why people aren't members of clubs. And it said that, well, one thing you can do is if you don't like the club you're in, form your own club. Absolutely. And so what I did was I formed a club called the Columbia River DX Club. And uh, four of us here in the county got together and started uh, our own little miniature DX club that focuses on getting guys on HF. And uh, so far we've got, uh, I think, five or six members now that have graduated and our big uh, score contributors uh, to our Willamette Valley DX Club now on contests, uh, and it all has to do with mentoring them and and you know uh, uh, you know providing the, the information and the tools that they need, uh, uh, you know sitting down at a at a at a nice station 
and you know with big antennas and showing them what you know what it can be like. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yep. No, absolutely. I'm 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 with you totally on that. You know, I I, I have a like I said, I've got a, you know, a a station. If you look at my website, it's pretty good size. You know, I've got two towers up and and uh, you know nine different HF antennas and and I I to tell you the truth, the people that come over to operate my station that don't have quite the setups um, are on more than I am, and I and I'm proud of that fact. This is Tom. Whatever. Go ahead, Tom. This time, I just wanted to uh, chime in with you on this. I'm I'm listening intently because I'm a fairly new Hamlet. So I'm into my third year and spent a lot of time looking at the local clubs and learned a lot from the members there. But I do see that sort of um, some of the issues that you're bringing up. And the thing that uh, has benefited me the most is in expanding my understanding of the fun of radio, uh, working radio, was getting hooked up with people doing HF and actually going out to their stations, you know, some of these bigger stations. It was like, oh, my gosh, this is a totally different world. This is nothing like the magazine, you know. Exactly, exactly. You have to extend that invitation, though, to people. I think that's really And you think about... Yeah, you think about a contest, right? You have contests that last 48 hours, and you're literally working. You're working the world as the sun, you know, as the sun rotates around the world. So does HF propagation, and so you're sitting there and you're working, you know, in here on the on the west coast. You know, we're working JAs in the afternoon, working Europeans in the morning. We're working Africa and South America in the afternoon, and somebody who sits there and listens to this, you know, you realize you're actually going around the world twice in that 48 hours. And to have somebody sit down and listen to that and work that, you know, working somebody in Norway in the morning and then working them in Japan and, and uh, South America and then finally into, you know, into uh, Oceania in the late afternoon and the evening, they're absolutely floored by it. That, they can, that you, know, you, you know, if you get a station at home, you can do this. You know, you can get on the air, you can work people. And I tell you, at my station here, it's been very successful. Um, you know, I talked to, I talked to, uh, I had a, a dinner at the uh, Vicelli convention um, with, uh, with Tim Duffy. I thought it was dinner, I guess it was, maybe it was lunch. And, uh, you know, he's got a, that huge station back three, right, K3LR. And I asked him, you know, what people, what, if they want to come operate your station, can they? And it's no, 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 no. You know, we're, this is a serious contest operation. We don't let anybody in there. Um, uh, you know, I have certain guys that, that come in, they operate, and then they go home. I said, well, how, you know, what are you doing to mentor and get new people on the air to replace these guys eventually that are, are going to get old? And he says, well, you know, he puts on the, the, the contest university. But to me, that's not enough. I mean, you can go and teach people. You know, I, I put on seminars at, uh, at our local CPAC convention. I've done a lot of, of seminars, uh, technical seminars uh, on, uh, on, you know, HF noise mitigation, on how GPS works. I've also done a series of ones on contesting where you bring people in. And I think part of it is you got to, you know, you can't just teach them in the classroom. You got to sit them down in front of the radio. Right. And that's a, a key part of it. It really is because it's just so many different things going on at once. You can't get that out of a couple of articles out of the radio magazine. Is Absolutely. The, the logging software, the antenna, the radio, the propagation. The, do you use a keyboard or do you use the key? I mean, and then what's the protocol for holding your call if you want to hold a frequency? There's like like nine things going on at one time, and and you can only really get that by having the experience of it. 
Well, and it, it also comes down to, you know, you also develop the ability to listen. Yes, and that's one, one skill, I think, that people don't realize that it really takes to, uh, to, to do, a, you know, really well in the HF contest. And HF is, is you have to learn how to listen. And that's, uh, that, that, I think, is the biggest, the biggest part of the skill that people really need to, uh, uh, you know, really need to learn. Well, okay, so we kind of get a little off track here because we're talking about the ARRL. And so uh, the, uh, the question will be, would be, you know, how does the ARRL really encourage more of this? I think and they've got to develop a better mentoring program. I did hear they had a, in uh, our uh, Jim Pace's uh, ARRL forum, he did mention that they've tried a mentoring program before, but apparently it didn't work. And I think you have to develop a program where people will be rewarded for uh, for for mentoring. You know, we've got VEs, we've got uh, people that can you know give the exams, uh, we've got uh, great people that can go out and do uh, seminars. But uh, I think we need some Elmer. We need some kind of an official Elmering program with the league uh, to bring people in to uh, to stations and and you know get them get them involved more in physically working uh, working the radios. You know, I, I don't and, and have I, a solution for exactly how that do, how that works because I think you'd have to figure out a way to do that. But you know, to me, the the, the key of the future is is you know in getting people to upgrade, getting people active to the point where they find uh, value in the league is to uh, is is to develop a really good mentoring program. Okay, so, so and and that and that's that's yeah. that's perfect. That's that's spot on. So. Um, uh, that as you know, you don't have to have all the the answers right now, but you you want to have that goal in mind. Well, I said they, so they that, apparently had something before they tried that didn't work. Now I haven't you know found out what they did before, but I mean you know. Well, if you well, look here, at the average, go ahead. Here, here's my sort of gripe about this, and I'm no, I'm kind of editorializing. Maybe I shouldn't, but a lot of the things they do seems to me they do it, but they. They, they only do it part way. And I think that Elmering program is a case in point because I, I I wasn't involved with the program per se, but I wanted to get more details on it. And like you say, it, it ended up being really nothing. And um, uh, I, th I think they do that in, in a lot of cases, not just Elmering. And and part of it, then, but then you you criticize them for it and they turn around and say, well, we don't have the manpower. Well, you know, if you don't have the manpower, don't do it to start with or get more people involved so you do have the manpower. Well, and I think part of that has to do with coming up with, re with a reward system, right? People people will, or will be more inclined to do something if there's something in it for them. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's going to take, I mean, it takes a lot to, to develop a station to, to, you know, then, you know, turn it over to people to operate. And of course, a lot of it too has to do with uh, working with the schools. I know there's been a a lot of activity to try to get some of the old school stations at universities back up and on the air. Um, and, and that and that's worked out pretty well, I think. It has. It has. It has know, worked out pretty well. I haven't heard my old alma mater, uh, San Jose State, State University, on the air. I've only worked them in contests a couple of times. But a great example of that is a station at Stanford, uh, K7 or W7YX. And you'll yeah. hear them in almost every contest. And well, the Michigan, I, University of Michigan Amateur Radio Club has gotten pretty active too. So yeah, and I think they need to do more of that. Uh, we know with more outreach programs to get in these universities, the ones that have uh, have had stations in the past that maybe have gone stagnant, is to try to work with them to get those stations on the air. 
Maybe I can put another little bug in your ear. One of the, one of the things that, and this is along the same lines. I think one of the things the league doesn't do very well is manage volunteers. They they don't take very kindly to those of us out here in the boondocks and that aren't in Newington uh, suggesting things and, and 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 allowing us to work on things. Well, and, uh, so you might you might think about that if you get elected. Well, and I think a lot a big part of that, and that goes back to another reason why I'm running, was that I didn't feel that our current director did a good job of listening. He he felt his job, I think, and this is my opinion, was to come to the meeting and tell everybody what the league is doing, and not taking input back to the league. And I think that's well, a, big, a big part of it. I think they've got to do a much better job. Of, of ensuring that all of their board members spend a lot of time talking to people within their division and then bringing that input back to the board. And that's well, not just, bring, that's just important. bringing the input, but, but going out there and recruiting these people to do things, yes. do things for the league. And I, I could give you, I'll give you a bunch of examples at some other time. We're, we're kind of running out of time here, Okay. but, okay. uh, but, uh, uh, I'll, I'll bend your ear on that, especially if you get elected. <laughs> well, I will certainly take all, all input. I mean, I'm, I'm here, I'm here to listen. I've, I've, uh, you know, I've been having some discussions, award silver, um, I'm sure, you know, N zero AX, um, at yep. the, uh, uh, Pacific Northwest DX convention, last uh, weekend uh, did a great a great presentation on both Yasme and uh, and also on ham radio 2.0 as he sees it which we think about it uh, somebody else brought up I, I had an email here with another local ham up here in the Northwest um, about what's really becoming ham radio 3.0 right the 2.0 revolution was digital uh, digital communications and now including FT8 and you know the question is what's next you know to become part of amateur radio 3.0 and then how do you pull these students in that are working on technologies that can be a part of that. Um, And, uh, you know, that's, that's, and, and that's kind of where the future lies too, is making sure that the league understands that, uh, understands that there's uh, that they need to work to get these new technologies developed that we may not even know about. Um, One of the things that was brought up was, was getting involved with engineering programs, uh, in universities to work uh, work with students on on, on wireless technologies. Well, and along and along those lines, I think we I think the league should be sending people to some of these important conferences. And they are to a point, but not enough. Right. They I and, believe they and, send people to, to some to, to some IEEE ones, and one of the ones that uh, one of the constituents here talked about was DEFCON or DEFCON. Yep. Right. The hackers conference. Yeah. Yep. And and sending somebody to there to talk to these uh, talk to these kids because they would be great, they would be great for uh, uh, assets for amateur radio. But you got to you know get get them involved. And uh, that's that was a, something that I hadn't thought about. But he brought it up, and I thought that's a great idea. But they've got to do much more of that. And it doesn't have to be a staff. They they need to uh, recruit people that that are. You know, well known in their fields, and, and and or just interested in working on this thing, and send those people out. It doesn't Absolutely. have to be. Yeah. Okay. So good. We're at, we're on the same page there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. All right. I'm well, all about anything... getting, getting everybody involved. Oh, good. I, I'm I'm really glad to hear that. So let's just wrap it up here. We've already gone over a half an hour. Anything else you want to bring up that we didn't cover? 
Well, just that uh, that you know, I'm I'm a firm believer in. Uh, uh, we we didn't talk about the. Uh, well, I guess we we'll talk a little bit about N6AA. I know that was one of the things that you wanted to to discuss. Um, my only comment on that is that at the end of the day, you know, was the censure of him uh, good for amateur radio? And uh, uh, obviously, the board thought thought it was when they did it. But I think it wound up being in a way that they didn't predict. In the fact right. that what they did is they kind of turned uh, N6AA into a folk hero. Yep. Um, and actually, you know, cemented more. And I think some of the changes on the board that are occurring, you know, Rhea running, I'm running. I'm sure there'll be other people in other divisions that are that'll, that will step up eventually. And uh, there is going to be a change to the board that they, I don't think, were thinking about when they made that decision. So I think in the end, I think it may end up being good for amateur radio. Yep, yep. Well, we'll see. We'll see. So anyway, that's just it. I mean, I, you know, I, I, uh, I have my website, w7vo.com, uh, that you can take a look at. You can click on my election tab on the left, and I've got my full platform there where I discuss the, uh, my, my thoughts on the uh, ARRL strategic plan, uh, the six points that make that up. Um, and maybe we can have another discussion sometime about that. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm here to stay. I'm here to... Uh, to do what I can to, uh, you know, make sure that our, our members in the Northwest Division are represented and listened to. And I think that's really key. Well, very good, Mike. Thanks very much for being on our uh, our podcast. Okay, thank you. And uh, I, I invite you guys uh, uh, to talk to me anytime you have a question. You got my email, got my website, and uh, looking forward to it. Will do. You've been listening to the No Nonsense Amateur Radio Podcast with Dan, KB6NU, and Tom, KB5RF. For links to internet resources mentioned on the show and other notes, visit nonsenseamateurradio.com. For more information about amateur radio in general, visit Dan's blog at kb6nu.com. 7-3.